Hi, Jer. Hi, Kyle. What's so, up? Welcome. Yeah, welcome what's to it? draw. Uh, I... Go ahead. Welcome to draw how what dying do. Uh, doing it. The strongest. <laughs> the strongest we've ever done it. Okay, for real, go. Welcome to How to Draw Without Dying, everyone. It's the show where we talk about how to draw without dying. I'm Kyle. I'm a full-time artist and writer with a flair for the melancholy. And I'm Jer. I'm a full-time software engineer who's been drawing comics since he was seven. And today we're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk about stuff. Because this is How to Draw Without Dying is where we talk about how to make art and how to enjoy art. Uh, especially indie art in the busy modern world because it's very difficult. It is ever so difficult. And we've Kyle and I like discussed the possibility of of taking the intro and and you know get tag teaming it, ping ponging it back and forth. We're not there yet. We are not. We yeah. are not well practiced I, enough. <laughs> I I thought I had it down, and then the moment no time we, came for it, I just absolutely panicked. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, like we we did the intro just a little bit backwards. And then you started my part, and I followed up with your part. And uh, and because we don't really have like a fixed script, we, it turned out just fine. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Do thing. Make it up as you go. As we record this, we are streaming it on uh, on Twitch.tv/ironoki on my side and Twitch.tv/knewbridge over on Kyle's side. And feel free to jump in and and be a part of the conversation because we talk about some cool stuff and we want to hear from you. And we got an email address if you want to write to us. What a, What's the email address that I don't, I literally don't remember it? Uh, how to draw without dying, all one word, no caps, no, no, no fanciness. Yeah, it's, that's pretty simple that I can't seem to remember. What <laughs> a shame. Well, uh, our general topic, so sort of vaguely defined as the benefits to, I guess, different amounts of budget in your work. Uh, it kind of came about because I saw two very high budget animated things. Both of them had flaws that I wouldn't necessarily hold against a lower budget piece. In fact, I, I to a certain extent, I feel like they were really only flaws because they had such a high budget. Uh, the way that I want to say it was like making art with and without a budget. Because sometimes uh, you're able to sell your art or get funding for your art and and put a nice art together. And sometimes you're on your own and you've got to maintain a day job on top of, of whatever it is that you want to make. And there's pros and cons to both because, you know, money doesn't, as, as you were just describing, money doesn't inherently make it good. It can, but not always. And sometimes it's the struggle and, and the structure and the, and the, uh, and the fight that that indie art has to go through that makes that first one really special. Have you played Disco Elysium? <laughs> I've played so much Disco Elysium. I have not finished the game, so we're in pretty safe spoil like no spoiler territory here. But that's an interesting story of budget, I would say. They uh <laughs> I can't remember if it was you who said this, but someone uh, basically framed it as the characters of Disco, or the, the, the people who made Disco Elysium are the characters of Disco Elysium. <laughs> and uh, it's somewhat a wonder the game even got made at all, because... Because those guys were kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know the story super well. I know it kind of in passing, and, and part of it is that there's the cultural association that did a lot of writing about the concepts and the ideas of Disco Elysium. And then there's the game studio that got funding to make that story. And they had everything against them as far as like, like creating that, that story in that world and that narrative and actually making a finished ass game. That's as nice as that game is that was able to say what that game said. Um, and then the people that put money into it immediately took over and and are, are milking it for brand IP dollar monies. Mm -hmm. And everyone that was like originally, you know, a, a creative part of that team has been fired. And I love the fact that in that video game, while you're exploring the 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 world as a police officer, piece of shit and a detective, uh, you encounter a decrepit and and now abandoned uh, game workshop. As if the creators of the game knew that this was going to be their future and there's nothing you really can do about it. <laughs> so the two things I checked out that I wanted to talk about. Uh, first was a like character trailer for Overwatch 2. <laughs> 
which <laughs> uh, that's sure did also, come out. Also known as a dead game. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, like, you, you and I played Overwatch 1 back oh, when I, it first no, yeah, came out. I, re- I remember Overwatch, which was just called Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that was a fun video game. <laughs> What's the other thing that you saw that you wanted to talk about? Uh, the Chainsaw Man anime. I love Chainsaw Man. I love it so much. I've I've heard that you like Chainsaw Man. But there was some uh, animation stuff that was a bit jank. But to get more specific, the Overwatch 2 trailer, it was like the graphics were very put together. Everything was very shiny. The the characters were all pretty and the, the action went whoosh. But the thing I found fascinating was, especially in the like talky character moments, the characters were way over animated, comically over animated. Each like the the smallest sentence was a big dramatic. Oh, you could see the girl's eyes bulge and her smile go, and she would strike a pose and flail her arms about as she talked so dramatically. And it was all throughout the entire thing. And it's something that really would have worked had this been like a. Uh, a Disney style thing or any style just a little bit more cartoonish than what they were going for, which was, you know, like a an anime-ish 3D modeling. But it was it, like the, the graphics they had, the, the, the design philosophy they had with the characters was just realistic enough to make that overacting so, so obnoxious. Um... And when the fighting happened, it was all great, but it, it just amazed me that having all of the money in the world didn't make that less obnoxious. What are some things that, that you would say the money made good? <sighs> I mean, the first one that comes to mind is the um, uh, multiple Spider-Mans, Sp- mm. Spider-Man's movie, mm. um, which was not really a good in the traditional sense as much as that movie was able to pay off of two decades of nostalgia in a way that simply would not have been possible if Disney didn't have all of the money to untangle a bunch of copyright gunk. So to be clear, you're talking about uh, the the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Yes. Because... Honestly, because I think in, in 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 animation and comics all the time, nonstop, because I can't help it, please send help, I was thinking of um, Enter the Spider-Verse. I mean, that's objectively a better movie, but I actually have full confidence they could have made something just as cool with half the budget. Hmm. They, I mean, like, I, I don't know if you've watched any interviews with the people who made that, but they already found some really great tools to hide their limited budget in ways that no one noticed. That's... And actually gave it some flavor. Uh, do you remember any? It's been a long time since I, I looked into that. But uh, yeah, the point is you had a bunch of talented animators who actually were very uh, pent up and repressed. I believe they all worked on the Emoji movie shortly before that. And you just had a bunch of talented people with talent burning in their pockets um, that they had not been allowed to use with their big fancy an- uh, industry job. They had an opportunity to do something cool and they were able to do it. Uh, I'm I'm not actually sure the money had a massive uh, amount on that. So my next question for you is, can you think of something that had a ton of money, had all the money you could ever ask for, and turned out crap? Uh, I mean, a lot of things. Uh, a lot of Marvel movies also. That, that certainly um, Game of Thrones. That certainly encompasses uh, Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Which had yeah. preposter like the man seems to just have money and no one knows why and he kept spending <laughs> money on it but it's still the room. Uh, the movie that is so bad it actually loops back around to being like remarkably good again. What is not the room? The room. No, I disagree. I think it's crap. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, it is, but uh, a lot of people um, view it as simply the worst movie of all time, which in it and of itself is kind of a remarkable feat. I I could get behind that. So I'm trying to think because I don't see enough to really answer my own questions here. I was gonna kind of, I'm kind of trusting you. We, we've somewhat butted heads before in that, like, 
I, I generally think going corporate, going industry is just the wrong way to go for our creative vision in general, at least in the way our, our system is set up in America right now. Yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about animation-wise, because we, we had the Overwatch with the big, loud, over-animated expressions, um, and then Chainsaw Man uh, had... I know you don't watch a lot of anime, but you might have heard the trend uh, over the past five or so years, a little bit more maybe, of anime studios using 3D animation and it looking pretty awful. Yes. It's gotten a lot better recently. Um, the one that really, I think, has started started shifting people's perceptions is Attack on Titan um, because they were able to elevate the action scenes while also allowing animators to see their families. Ah. And it didn't It didn't actually, like, you could tell it was there, but it didn't actually look all that bad most, most of the time anyways. It's, it's definitely a tool that is um, being learned how to be used. And Chainsaw Man does use it, which doesn't surprise me at all. Like, it, like watching enough anime to know when they tend to go forward and when they don't i was pretty sure there was going to be at least some and during the like high octane action moments it's perfect and it's like almost unnoticeable but there are some moments where it's like in what's definitely like an action scene but the slower parts of the action scene like before chainsaw man turns into a giant beyblade and starts <laughs> chewing up the zombie demon when he is just a man with chainsaws chainsaw chain chainsawing up some zombies the 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 slow swings that looks kind of kind of dumpy and i'm able to forgive it conditionally at least in that that particular scene they were definitely going for a like evil dead-esque jank zombie encounter if that makes sense mm-hmm but if it continues to feel like that in some other scenes, that's when I'd be worried. The on only the first episode's out, so it's still kind of too early to call in some cases. But yeah, when when the like big set piece action happened, it looked great. But it also kind of goes to show that you know this uh, this anime, frankly, like it's been one of the most anticipated ones as far as I can tell uh, for a while. It has a very like it has a lot of big names attached to it. It has a big studio attached to it. Uh, and even essentially all the money the anime industry can throw at it didn't stop it from having some jank 3D animation. So you and I are both artists and we're making our own art by by hook or by crook by which we're, we're just will powering it into existence each in our own way. And you and I are both taking a completely different approach to also eating mm -hmm. while we make our art. I'm maintaining my it's not even day job it's a pretty awesome career that i've been that i've had for 20 years uh which actually eats up a lot of my my energy and time because it's it's um, it's a really good job but it really asks a lot of me because it's it's full last job um but then my bills are paid so i can i can make my art in the meantime and you are just an artist and you are stringing together multiple revenue streams and and making it into a, a a regular paycheck where like what you create is um is is what feeds you both of us have a budget to some version of the word and both of us make art out of that budget so like where i'm thinking is there are people that say, well, if I need, if I want to make a thing, I'm going to need to find a way to fund it. And that's true almost universally. And you and I both being independent artists will tend to steer people away from worrying about being industry friendly, making an industry level product that you can sell to to an arts industry and and have them fund your project or buy it and create it. So I want to talk a little bit about how, you know, the life choices we make. Actually, I'd like you to talk about the life choices you've made in order to, like, you know, have a budget to make your art. And then I want to talk about, I'm gonna say cautionary tales of the industry and and why that may not be it's it's certainly not the only way to get funding and there's enough reasons why it shouldn't be the main reason you try to get funding but 
how what's what's it like create creating a budget from nothing? Well, it does help that a lot of the art I make, at least in its base form, doesn't have a whole lot of operating costs. Um, hosting a comic online, uh, you uh, depending on who you go through for hosting, maybe you need like $100, $200 a year, if that. You might have to do some work building your own HTML website because Squarespace is just a d- stupid, dumb, expensive. But um, it doesn't have a lot of operating costs. Um, especially like podcasts as well. These days you can get hosting for free. When I actually, like when I first tried podcasting seven years ago or so, that wasn't the case. So so that means that all of the budget, most of the budget anyways, um, goes to labor, which is simply paying myself for the immense amount of work hours that go into making something. My audience is still incredibly small. Um, <laughs> small, but very supportive and very scrappy. I love, I love all of you, but I, I can... I know almost everyone that's ever given me a dollar. Like, I, I can name most of them. There's uh, a few exceptions with Kickstarters of, of very generous strangers who have thrown some money my way and who have, I've never heard from again. But what this means for me is, in my case, I have to be very careful with budgeting myself on how to keep myself alive. Um, you know, like, you, you see all these self-help uh, how 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 millennials can live uh, budgetary help things, and they're all like, okay, so your rent's gonna be you know one third of your income. I'm like, my rent is three fourths of my income, and I'm still like that. That's me breaking even. I love those articles that are out of touch in every imaginable way. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, where does your income come from? Mostly, so mostly it comes from commissions. Um, at this point, uh, I. I do a handful of, uh, you know, drawing characters, little animation things. Uh, most of that comes from, like, uh, something like that. Um, and that's, I'd say, a third or uh, a third or a half of the income. Um, another chunk's from Patreon. So that's another chunk of it. And then the sort of, like, last third of it is usually like leftovers from kickstarters um which is why i'm actually i'm planning on doing another kickstarter by the end of the month um for for an anachronistic thing because i'm i i need to refill my <laughs> you fill the coffers yeah and uh that's why uh another thing with uh when i need operating costs to make a thing when I need to print a book, that's where Kickstarter comes in as well, because that is a good fundraising opportunity to also get um, like printing costs, editing costs, that sort of thing uh, ironed out. Actually, not that long ago, I had to have a somewhat frank conversation with a, a fan of Anachronistic about how, like what it's going to take to get season two done, because uh, I'm very proud of Anachronistic. It's my favorite thing I've ever written so far. Uh, it cost a lot of work hours for me. It cost a lot of work hours for Fable. It cost a lot, cost a lot of work hours for Cassie. And uh, der- like, if you don't count Patreon, it made $20. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for about for, for about six months full-time work for two people and another, like... Uh, quite quite a distant quite amount of quite an amount of time for a third um so i'm looking for ways to have anachronistic make money so that i can pay the people who worked on it and so that i can keep eating while i make more of it um i've had the most luck with kickstarter for various projects uh as far as i'm aware kickstarter is not really known for uh, uh funding podcast projects yeah but i there, there, there's an option for it. There, there's an option for podcasted radio. So um, I think in the now, coming time, we'll be seeing some of that. You did point out to me, uh, you know, when, when breaking this down before, that uh, while ad revenue from Anachronistic is only a couple of bucks, um, you also, ha- like, generated... Um, like people that would back you in in like regular regular intervals off of off of things like like Patreon, mm-hmm. and that definitely well like that does make a difference. That is great. Um, even including that, like so, I can you can also frame Patreon as that is my patrons paying me to make that for that amount of time. So again, for let's say about six months, 
that's all my Patreon money was going towards. That was the main thing I was working on. Yeah. Uh, but even then, it wasn't quite enough to pay for the work hours that go into it, even just for me, let alone Fable and Cassie. Right. Um, and so, like, there was value there. And the fact that it got some regular eyes on my stuff, even if that didn't directly translate to dollars, like, that that's valuable. But I'm also at this point in my career where I need to I need to be generating dollars if I want to keep doing this as yeah. much as I hate that I got to keep the lights on <laughs> and I'm only being slightly hyperbolic on that <laughs> on a uh, like slightly related note like people are listening to this podcast yeah it's which is great news like we really just kind of started it with because we've been doing this this stream as a slightly structured stream for quite a while and then we pulled the trigger on, hey, okay, we've been talking about making it a podcast. Let's let's just do thing. And mm-hmm. then we started doing thing and it, uh, and, and like practiced and refined it and and it, it is where it is now. And people have started listening to it. Thank you, thank you, all yeah. of you. Yeah, like <laughs> we are a we are a small bunch with a you know just getting started. And uh, every single person that like you know has has jumped in and said, oh hey, this is pretty cool to listen to. Uh, we are very ecstatic to have you here. Thank you. Um. What if we went to a publisher and said, hi, publisher, we're creating this thing. We've actually been doing it for a while, and it's pretty well established. Uh, let's use this this show as an example. Uh, let, uh, pretend. This is a pretend hypothetical. So you and I go to, a, go to a publisher of podcasts and say, hi, publisher of podcasts. This is our podcast. Will you give us money to keep making that podcast? That could be a good idea. That works for some people. See, uh, in most cases, uh, what I see when that happens is like, ah, great idea. Okay, so we're going to take the name from the podcast. Um, We'll uh, make you do the podcast with uh, this famous person we know. And instead of about uh, uh, drawing with vaguely depression undertones, it's going to be about uh, how to draw industry comics. Have fun. And you two are fired because... Mm -hmm. uh, because DC Marvel is what's hot now, and we need you to talk about uh, the the, uh, the the Black Panther movie that is coming out soon. Oh, yes, and uh, we're um, only going to pay you based on how well it does, and uh, you're in charge of your own marketing. Now, this is, this is slight hyperbole. That is not entirely guaranteed to be what happens. In fact, I know uh, a, a few podcasts that have a lot of... Um, uh, creator control um and 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 like i'm going to actually try and down my snark on this one because i would love to snark as an indie artist trying to stay indie and and make a living at it uh while that's okay i i absolutely you'll, you'll snark, can't turn off my snark you'll snark for both of us <laughs> so yeah. uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say this in a in a in a in a objective way um the podcasts that i've listened to that i like that are published uh and yet the creator has a lot of creative control uh are already established uh figureheads uh for example lavar burton reads lavar burton is a very well established career actor who uh you know has done uh you know a little bit of star trek a little bit of roots a little bit of reading rainbow and uh, and so many people know who he is. And so when he goes to a publisher and says, hey, I want to do a podcast about where I read. Uh, I, it's, it's reading Rainbow, but for grownups. You're just going to read short stories, but they're going to be, you know, like, like, you know, adult stories. And so it's it's, it's reading Rainbow, but content for adults and, and, and really cool, lit- like short literature. A publisher says, oh, hi, you're LeVar Burton. I didn't hear the rest of what you said. Here's some money. Um, and then I think of like, you know, smaller podcasts that are independent creators and um, that have a lot of creative control, they are absolutely just, they own their own thing. So when you go to a publisher, you are going with something of value. And what you keep when you sell that thing is based on what they're getting out of it. When LeVar Burton goes to a publisher and says, hi, I'm going to make a podcast, they're getting LeVar Burton. 
and they're content with that and say, okay, go, go make, we trust you, go make your show. You're, you're already, you've already got clout. It's fine. Uh, if we went to a publisher, there'd be like, they'd be like, who are you? How many followers do you have? Oh, like, you know, 20. <laughs> the problem with that is even if it is an established person, even if it's a popular thing, all it takes is one new CEO person to decide they know better. And not only could the show be canceled, but the rights might be transferred. Um, or like the people who made the show might be kicked off the show and no longer have access to their own branding because the company owns the branding. And so this is actually something I wanted to talk about from the beginning, which is uh, you could pitch an idea. You can write a script for uh, – we'll, we'll talk about comics for now uh, because that's what I make. You could write the script for a comic, uh, pitch it to a publisher. Publisher says, yeah, we'll, we'll fund that. Print it. Uh, and then and then do you sell them the whole title? Well, probably because they're only going to pay for it if you um, – yeah, they, they want to own it if you create it. And then you create it, and then we have the situation we see where uh, where they create a sequel. How many good sequels can you think of off the top of your head, of anything? I mean, more more than you'd think, but it's still, uh, you know, less than half. When you think of a good sequel, did the original creator make it? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Sometimes the, the uh, original creator had nothing to do with it, and that's why the sequel's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Oh, George Lucas ruined Star Wars. Anyway, <laughs> my favorite parable about this the situation is uh, is Avatar: The Last Airbender. I would love to see the version of Legend of Korra that they actually wanted to write. Mm -hmm. I legitimately don't know how Avatar: The Last Airbender was able to exist based on what happened to, to uh, Legend of Korra. So uh, for those who have never seen either, Avatar Last Airbender is a three-season cartoon show with a full story arc that begins and, ha and ends. And the creators have a remarkable amount of control to, to create this world and this narrative and tell this story. And then they said, hey, that went really well, Nickelodeon. Can we do another? And, they, and Nickelodeon says, sure, but... And Nickelodeon introduces lots of requirements, limitations, and expectations for Legend of Korra. And Legend of Korra is kind of less good. It's kind of a bummer. But you can see when you watch it that it's written by the same guys. And and and, and they set up the same seeds of like a long-form story that 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 um that 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 Avatar Less Airbender had, but they have to not do that. And so the first season creates what what really should be the a long form arc and then just kind of like magic solves it at the end of the season. And then in mm -hmm. season two and three, they kind of tepidly create another arc, but they're not sure how much more time they have to do anything. And then around see in season three and four, they said, okay, I think we can do a thing with four seasons. And they're just constantly wrestling with the publisher about, or, you know, the studio about what, how, what, how much we, can we, what is it? And it's just kind of a bummer when I really want to see the story that they'd make if they made it the same way they made Avatar The Last Airbender. A publisher or a studio is there to make money. They want to buy a thing and fund it to make a thing that sells and makes money. And they will make decisions accordingly. They will stop, you know, they'll, they'll, they don't care about your idea. They care about what is, how much money is it going to make. But sometimes... People can make, you know, people can sell their idea to a publisher, can get it published, and and what do they get? I don't know. That seems so alien to me. Yeah, I think that's sort of what it comes down to is you, it, when you sell your idea to a publisher, you're banking that you might get it in front of more people. And I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> you tend to sell your idea if you're lucky you can get a deal where you have creative control. If you're lucky, that actually goes through. And if you're lucky, they don't find they don't actively find a way to screw you out of the deal. I mean, like 
look at things like Warner Brothers and what's happening over there right now, and it's just they're they're taking their entire animation uh, side of things and just throwing it into a fire. Yeah, they're, they're those are people it, who got yeah. industry jobs. Uh, like th- th- those are people who should be like in the most stable position of all artists, and they're out on their ass. So that paints a pretty bleak picture of what it's like to go to a publisher or a studio hat in hand and say, hey, can I make my dream project? But um, doing yourself's hard too. You get, a, but you get, you get a lot of control out of it, but it's kind of grueling. What can we tell people about how to do it with, with, with no money? There's some good stuff going on uh, when, when you do it this way. When you are only doing it yourself, you don't need to make 50 billion mecha ultra dollars. You just need enough to keep yourself going. There's a bit of career building involved with that. There's a bit of, like, networking is a word that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but you, you, you do need to sort of put some time in to build an audience that won't get you dollars. I was I was doing this for... Again, probably about five years before I um, was able to go independent, and even now my like financial situation is is stable, but still like, oof. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing: is I have always been satisfied with everything I've made. Sure, there's things I I think I could do better, but like, no one else ever got in my way. I was at a panel with the creators of the podcast Welcome to Night Pale, and someone asked them. Do you still have fun making the show? And uh, Joseph Fink was like, "So that's kind of a weird question because, like, y- you don't have a child because it's fun. <laughs> to a certain extent, you don't create art. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, let me finish what I'm saying here. But you, you don't create art because necessarily just because it's fun or just to make money. Sure, those things are a part of it. But I think most people create art because it's, like, an intrinsic part of them to a degree. Whether it's a story they need to get out, whether it is a certain peace of mind that can only happen when they make art, it's a more complicated feeling than, than that. If it was just about money, no one would do it because it doesn't bring in a lot of money. I'm not saying don't pay artists or, or work for free. Please pay I'm artists. Just, yeah, labor is worth something. Uh, it's just the path's not easy, and I think, think like I, I don't think people go into this thinking it'll be easy. <laughs> if that makes sense, it makes sense to me. Um, I get out of it, and we've already talked at length about why we make art. I think um, uh, we were talking about wrapping up uh, how to draw without dying into a a distinct season one, and then taking a bit of a break. Uh, we're, we're making that plan right now. So nothing, nothing official just yet. Uh, but what I had in mind for a, a final episode of season one is why to draw without dying. <laughs> I think that would be a, a fun topic. I have a day job, a very, very good day job. And so money is definitely not why I make art. In fact, like I'm absolutely terrible about selling my completely printed and published books and it took Kyle putting a store together and saying Jerry you're going to sell your book on this as well also you should print your uh, your neck your second comic and make a book out of that why I spend my spare time drawing and streaming and hosting drawing clubs and all that is a pretty consistent source of validation a thing that I'm very starved for um I think a lot, I work really hard, and I just want, like, to, to people to see the things that I, that I make and, and the, the things that I do, and when someone sees a piece of art that I made and responds to it, hopefully, you know, positively, uh, it, it gives me something that I can't really describe in any word other than just validation it's like i feel very validated that something i created had an effect on someone else and 
there just aren't a lot of other places in life that I I get that. If this were my day job and I've considered multiple times throughout my life, you know, shifting gears and and changing my budget and cha- and and selling my art more uh more strongly or even like uh I don't think I'd ever go to a publisher for any of my comics, but I have considered the idea that the story of the indies might make a very nice movie. If I found someone to, you know, make a movie with, that's certainly not a thing I could do by myself, like like I can with comics. Those ideas appeal to me, and like the idea of taking something that I've created and turning it into something bigger that uh, reaches more people and and pays me, uh, you know, a living instead of my day job. That sounds really cool, but I don't need that. I'm not driven towards that. What I'm driven towards is taking this wild-ass imagination of mine, this imagination that, like, sometimes I'll just listen to a song and then my, my, my imagination will just tell me the story of that song. Um... And, and and I'll be able to listen to that song again and just watch a cartoon show in my mind that's just completely, perfectly vivid and be like, man, I should do something with that idea. I should share that with somebody. Do you know how hard it is to take a really cool image in your brain and turn it into a real thing that you can share with people? It's really fucking hard. It takes a lot of work. You gotta build up your skills. You gotta... Got to learn how to, you know, get get the image down and into something that other people can appreciate. You've got to, um, you got to work at it, whether you're writing it or drawing it or what have you. That work has been more worth it to me than than any amount of money people could pay me for it, and like the one or two people that have like read the indies. I actually have like a couple of Goodreads reviews of the indies. And one of them is just moving. It's like someone, it's not anyone I know. I don't know who wrote it, but it was just really, really like meaningful to somebody. And they wrote it, wrote a review of it on Goodreads. I was like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Somebody actually really loved this book. And I could sell it to a to a publisher. They might edit it and say, oh, hey, Natalie needs a love interest. Fuck off! Uh, and it might reach more people and it might make me a living, but it wouldn't have the same feeling. It wouldn't be the same thing as that one person that stumbled across my book and wrote that one Goodreads review that said it it, it moved them. So, <sighs> making art without a budget, it's a lot harder. But you get See, to make, I think that's. But you get to make your thing, though. Yeah, I, I think that conclusion is is something I fundamentally disagree on. I, I think it's not any harder. I think it's the exact same amount of hard, just in different places. I was just talking about that at work where uh, in, in code there's a, a saying that I love that's like uh, we were trying to simplify something and uh, a, a, an engineer I used to know uh, said the phrase, you can't remove complexity, you can just move it around. And I think uh, like, yeah, making a piece of art that you can sell to a publisher is every bit as hard you still have to impress that publisher. You still have to polish it up. You still have to get your skills up and make your product like something that, that can be sold to a publisher. It's still a ton of work. Um, but uh, as oh, another saying that I once heard about selling a piece of art to a publisher is um, the artist feels like, no, don't don't hurt my baby, while the publisher feels like, if you didn't want bacon, why did you bring me your pig? Uh, you are bringing a resource, your creativity, to a person that knows how to make money with that resource, and they will tell you what they know about making money with that resource. You might not like that. You might. 
you might be willing to make these sacrifices. And you'll get a budget and some professionalism behind it. A measure of professionalism. Not, probably not the whole nine yards, probably not the whole like weight of their marketing department for a first time like creator. You'll get something. You will get an amount of professionalism that they deem your project is worth. But you'll get something. And you'll give something. Maybe you'll be able to con maintain complete control. Maybe uh, you'll get like one deal and a second if it sells well. Maybe you'll get uh, like, yeah, we'll market it a bit, but you're mostly on your own. But we'll handle the, the printing and the publishing because we've got really good contracts on, uh, you know, on, on the logistics for it. So they, they've got some things that they can sell you. And while we talk at length about how it's probably not going to be a good deal for you, a, a indie artist or a first time artist or someone just, you know, coming to someone with with your baby, with your 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 creative like like gem. Um, it's likely not going to be a good deal that they sell you, but it will be a deal and you can measure it as a deal and you can say, okay, I am getting this and this. I'm not getting this, this, and this, and I'm giving this. And you put that on the table, weigh the value of all those things and say, this is or is not worth it. Hey, you want to talk, you want to look some comic books? I got a lot tonight. Yeah. Hey, okay, guys. All right. Okay, everyone buckle up because this is going to be special. So I'm going to do, I've got my regular four. And then we're going to take a breather. And then we're going to go back in because I've got 10 more for Halloween in particular. We're going to do a ha Halloween speed run. So we're going to do it in two parts. Let's get that. Let's get that going. Okay, all right, okay, all right, all right, okay, all right, okay, all right, all right, all right, you ready? Here we go. Today is October 13th, 2022, and I've got some cool comics on Kickstarter to talk about, and I'm going to start with one that's crushing it. This is Council of Frogs by Matt Emmons. Emmons. Uh, let's see. The art is, it's just, these are walking frogs. These are walking frogs in tall grass. It's just the the color is like tones of of green and yellow, uh, a couple of like golden yellow highlights. It's like mouse guard butt frogs. It is there. These these are just frogs, but they're but they're walking on their hind legs and doing stuff. They're carrying a candle. It, it's just this is a beautiful swamp with beautiful frogs. What is this about? Okay. Sent out by his father, a kindly old swamp lich, one tiny frog must leave the safety of his home to deliver a message of grave importance to a warlock. Aided by many unconventional friends along the way, this little frog discovers the danger of the world beyond and his beloved swamp grove. Uh, beyond his beloved swamp grove. But the world is a big, harsh place, and he may need more than his dandelion hat and his tiny sword to make it home before it's too late. That's some world building. And a lot of people think so. Uh, still a month to go. It's got 543 backers. It was it was looking for uh, 15K US, and it's made 19K already. This is crushing it. Get a load of this. Go pick this one up. That it's is cool. Um, I'm expecting that this guy has created five uh, Kickstarters before. Very professional artist. Uh, clearly an experienced Kickstarter. And I, I just like I saw this, and it's like, oh, they they've all got little bells around their feet. I don't know why, but I like, and then it makes a little ting 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 sound as they walk through the swamp. And they're all carrying candles. This is cool. That's they're fighting an eagle right there. That eagle wants to eat them. This is cool. I like them. They seem nice. Even though they're working for a lich and a warlock. Not not typically your your good guy archetypes. Uh Council of Frogs by Matt Emmons. Okay, next up I found Gage and the Dragon's Tear by Patrick uh Kellner and crew. 
This is uh, it's the fourth issue of an ongoing fantasy western style western style all western style art full color definitely industry quality kind of reminds me of um I, I don't know if anyone is old enough to remember it uh, the the Prince Valiant comics that I used to read in the newspaper uh, it's kind of your classical fantasy art style. Uh, the settings look like they're straight out of, they're just an illustrations on the, on par with like an open world RPG setting. It's, it's beautiful. Lots of forests, lots of cities, lots of like, you, you see a town in the, in the distance on, a, on the plains. Uh, really cool camera shots as well. Uh, setting like foreground, middle, mid-ground background really, really well. What is this about? This is about Gage, AKA the Wraith a renowned thief and assassin. There isn't much in the realm that is out of his grasp should he wish to obtain it. The White Dragon's Tear, a gem with rumored mystical powers, is one of the few things that has eluded him. After having been missing for several years, the Dragon's Tear is finally resurfaced and Gage might finally have the chance to get it. Yep. Yep, that's that's a fantasy adventure. That's a really cool fantasy adventure. I love the art. These are cool guys. Um, we're about halfway to our target, which I love to see in the first couple of days. 81 backers have got, uh, 2K US, uh, only looking for 4K, completely reachable goal. Um, excellent. A medieval comic for mature readers. I think there might be a violence in this one. Maybe a violence or two. Violence kicks ass. I like violence. I don't think I want to follow this thread. I'm going to go on to the next comic, <laughs> which is called One True Love, uh, by Mario Candelaria. One True Love uh, is about it's about after pulling off a score of a lifetime, two East Coast mobsters named Peter and Paul drive to Los Angeles to lay low at childhood friend Matthew's Hollywood Hills home until the heat dies down. Everything is going to plan until Matthew's adult daughter, Amber, unexpectedly returns early from her trip. Paranoia and mistrust run rampant. Uh, as the crew decides how to how to handle this unexpected element, unsure of what Amber might see from her room in the pool house and who she might tell. The art is uh, classic uh, Western comic illustrative style, really realistic people, really realistic environments, really real like very cinematic uh, camera angles and and pacing it looks it really like gives me the vibes of like the classic american uh crime movies um usual suspects comes to mind like like right away uh this is very pretty very professional um 100 backers uh earning 3k so far we're looking for 18k so this is a professional comic that's asking for professional money it definitely deserves it uh, just needs more eyes on the project. It needs a lot more eyes on the project. So uh, these guys know what they're doing. They know how, they know how to make a, a beautiful comic. And boy, does this make me think of it. It just it just feels like I re I'll be reading a movie when I read this. It's cool. And then the last one I've got today is Proville by L. Uh, very different in in art style here. Very cartoony, bright, bold colors, high contrast. High contrast not just in color but also in character. So we've got uh, it's about a hero and a villain, and like the hero is very round and the villain is very sharp. Like this is a story told in contrasts. The hero is is like their scenes are in oranges. The the villains are in blues. It's 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 all about the contrast and and uh, it's really 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 cute it's really really cute what is this about uh let's see pro is an eager new hero who quickly gains a nemesis the mysterious vil one of the most powerful villains in the city as they continue to battle each other for uh, what they believe in it's clear that that there's something more between them pro and vil face off against a uh, their growing relationship their roles as hero and villain and what it truly means to help people in a world that needs them needs them so superhero story also an lgbt romance by the way <laughs> it's adorable it's really cute i like it uh okay we've got 1k so far only looking for 2,500 US, completely reachable goal, just needs more eyes on it. Uh, only 23 backers so far, so get some eyes on it. Share this one. Post it around. That's the comic shop for today, at least the first part of it. 
Squirrelheart mentions if the frogs one reaches 800,000, the creator will adopt an actual frog and shower it in groggy luxury. <laughs> froggy luxury. Frog, froggy luxury. I appreciate that. Okay. Are we ready for a Halloween speed run of the comic shop? Is everyone ready? Kyle, you ready? Yes. You ready? This this is going to go quick, so everyone buckle up. I'm going to start a timer. I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to get it in exactly two minutes. That's usually that's kind of like my target for this for this kind of gag. So I'm going to hit a st- I'm going to hit the stopwatch, and we'll get and we're going to see how this goes. Today is October thirteenth, two thousand twenty-two, and this is the Halloween speed run. Ten comics in addition to the regular ones that I do. We're going to go through these really quick. Some cool Halloween or horror and scary and spooky themed comics on Kickstarter. Ready, go. Psycho Sal by William Russell. Special Agent Victor Gray hunts a serial killer, Psycho Sal, through rain-soaked New Orleans. Sleepwalk by Lowell John Smith. A killer starts controlling people's bodies through their dreams to commit heinous acts while sleepwalking. Hedrick, Knight of the Mummers, number two, The Axe Forgets. I don't care what it's about, that title. if that title was a movie, I'd go see it. The Safe House by Joseph Oliveira. A family are placed under witness protection after witnessing a brutal murder, but the traumatic experience continues to haunt them. Back from the Dead by Martinez Wilson. Civilization Crest, The Dark One, The Dead Ones Walk. Caleb and Audrey must make it from Cincinnati to Fort Campbell to meet Kenneth Smith, their last hope. Let's see. When the Hair Winks by Chani Petro. A collection of dark fables accompanied by macabre artwork, rotting rabbit heads, cursed demon trees, zombie lovers, and killer witches. Out of the Graveyard by Jefferson and Bethany Stancliffe. A group of scary friends have fun and adventure have a fun and adventurous night when they learn that they can blend in uh, with the the costumes on Halloween. Macabre Mel by Adam Bernhardt. Mel inadvertently extinguishes uh, extinguished the Age of Heroes. Now she's on her way to hell to try and try righting her wrongs. See, I am hexed by Kirsten Thompson. There is a government-led witch hunt for Charlie, Jaya, and Florence. The three witches must harness their powers, defend themselves, and unravel the mystery that could save the entire witching community. And No Spell Lasts Forever by Sarah Cook, a noir urban fantasy comic about a magic user who makes a deal with the devil for a second chance at life. Two minutes. You did I it. Did, no, I did it. I did it. Ten comics in two minutes. We did it. That's the Halloween. That's the Halloween comic shop. Uh, Kyle, where can people find links to all these all these cool things? <laughs> uh, they will be also linked in the show notes as well as on your Twitter. That's account. gonna be a lot of show notes. I'm sorry, everyone, but uh, yeah, my my Twitter is at Ironoki. I'll be posting links to all of this Halloween goodness all all next week. Um, hey, you want to get you want to give the wrap up a try? Budget doesn't make good art or bad art what makes good art is earnestness and a a good story so if you've got something in mind you want to make make it draw it you probably won't die